It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. to the Teal for Change podcast on the Sharks Audio Network. Now, here's your host, Mo Fafana. Welcome to another episode of the Teal for Change podcast. My name is Mo, and I will be your host for today's episode. Before I start on what I have in store for you guys for this episode, I want to remind you that last month, we dropped an episode with Sharks player Jasper Weatherby. If you have not had a chance to listen to that episode, I will highly recommend that you do that after listening to this episode. Had a great time talking to Jasper about his path to the NHL, talking about his family ties to Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement, as well as how he's been using his platform to advocate for social justice. So please do yourself a favor, listen to that podcast and let us know what you think. I also mentioned last month that our goal is to have an episode of the Two for Change podcast for you guys each month. And so far, we are on schedule with this episode dropping today. Now, I know that I'm hosting by myself today. However, I have plans to invite some of my friends to join me for this podcast for future episodes. And we have some great guests lined up as well. So make sure you tune in. Make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe because it only going to get better from here. Now, it's February. We started off the year celebrating Lunar New Year. This year was the year of the tiger. So for everyone that celebrate Lunar New Year, hope you have a happy new year, a happy 2022, and wishing you the best in this new year. February is also Black History Month. I know that the Sharks Foundation has a lot of fundraisers happening right now to raise a lot of money for some great organizations and nonprofits that we work with. The team is back playing at the SAP Center after the All-Star break. Tim Meyer was in Vegas representing us and he actually scored for the Pacific team. So a lot of fun to be able to see a Sharks player out there representing us. Now for today's guest, we have Milan Ballington from the African-American Community Service Agency. I've been working with Milan now for about three years and we've done some great things, raising money for a lot of great cause and for the Black community here in the Bay Area in San Jose. So I look forward to talking to Milan, learning about his story, and also learning all about the African Community Service Agency and all the great things that they're doing here in San Jose in the Bay Area. So stay tuned. And I have Milan Ballington coming up next on the Tip for Change podcast. On the Tip for Change podcast, I have with me Milan Ballantin, who is the executive director of the African American Community Service Agency. Welcome to the Tip for Change podcast. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, you and your platform that you are using to inspire change in the world. Awesome. Well, I mean, I know you pretty well. We've been working together for a few years now. 
Um, but tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Like, you know, where you from, where you grew up and how'd you end up here? Oh, wonderful. You know, I, I think that also kind of kind of rings to my 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 reminder that I need to start writing this book. <laughs> but I guess they say nowadays I can actually talk uh, my book out. So there I'm going to give go. everybody a preview of the uh, of the preface to the story. Um, We're getting exclusive here. I like it. <laughs> yes. Uh, it only can happen with Mo. So y'all better you, Oprah sign up. Um, I was born in Oakland, California, but raised in San Francisco, California. So in my adolescence years, I uh, grew up in uh, San Francisco, went to public school there. And when I graduated, I applied to multiple colleges and universities. And San Jose State uh, offered me um, an opportunity uh, that I could not reject. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm an advocate for their EOP program, which was the Equal Opportunities Program for students who were not overachievers in school. I was an achiever in different categories that they considered not to be achieving yet. <laughs> However, I got into San Jose State and that started my journey to living in San Jose. So um, I've been in San Jose for now about 21 years, almost 22. Started at San Jose State University. And I tell people, you know, born in Oakland, raised in San Francisco and nurtured in San Jose. So I'm truly from the Bay Area and um, happy to be here. Now, if you want me to continue, I could talk more about how I kind of became in doing that or I can hold on to that until your next question. Yeah, I was going to say, how was it like growing up here in the Bay Area for someone like myself who, you know, um, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee um, and been living here in San Jose now for six years? How was it growing up out here? And, you know, how do you think growing up, you know, being born in Oakland, um, raised in San Francisco, how has that, you know, kind of made you the person that you are today? Well, you know, the Bay Area and I think our, our world is changing. Um, and I, when I say that is growing up in San Francisco, I grew up in the Bayview Hunters Point, which for a long time was a predominantly black neighborhood in San Francisco. And that was because many African-Americans that um, migrated west or were looking for greater opportunities and to get out of the south moved to San Francisco. Most of my family worked for the United States Postal Service where they could get hired to uh, live better lives and provide opportunities, both on my mom's side and my father's side coming out of Louisiana and Texas. So I had a beautiful experience growing up in the city. I lived in Richmond for a stint as well. That probably only lasted about a year, <laughs> but I did not, that's when I moved to the city. But I mean, it was very instrumental on my development. Uh, attending school, participating in Touch of Class Choir, which is a well-known choir at Philip and Solomon Burnett High School. Mm -hmm. Many of the mayors of the city of San Francisco uh, supported that group because it trained and developed a young person like myself at the time, and I'm still considering myself young now, yeah. uh, to be who I am. And so I think that growing up and the experiences of being in the Bay Area, which uh, was diverse, but even has transitioned to be more diverse now, to come into San Jose, going to San Jose State University, joining organizations. Um, I joined my lifelong fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, which helped train and develop me. And then participating on campus, you know, being a part of the San Jose State President's uh, Club um, Advisory Group to the President. Our learning advocacy at San Jose State, which is a historical university, if I might add, mm -hmm. out of the PWIs, if you will, that created community within the campus 
helped develop me. And then that's how I ran into AACSA, the African-American Community Service Agency. Our name is not OXA. Yeah. I just want to put that out there so my team <laughs> won't think that I'm not being honest about representing. Um, my fraternity led me to, to do what our, our, our uh, one of our models is training for leadership. Mm-hmm. And it led me to speak with the ladies of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, who turned 100 this year. So shout out to them. Congratulations. Uh, but they invited us. They said, hey, Kappas, would y'all like to join us on doing a Halloween event at the African-American Center? And of course, my curious self, well, where is this African-American Center? <laughs> <laughs> to find out it's only like five blocks from the university. Yeah. Uh, blew my mind. And when I showed up, I saw Black people. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I love seeing Black people. Like, what's yeah. going on? But I also knew that there was a deficit in services for Black people. So how could I get involved? So I think my development and growing up in the Bay Area, being able to go to Oakland and enjoy, you know, Oakland is a mecca within itself of culture that you can't pay to get what Oakland has, right? You also can't pay to have that world-class experience that you can get from San Francisco. And then San Jose to me has become that it's the hidden, hidden like jewel of the Bay Area where it ha- it's not as well-known, yet it's the 10th largest uh, city in America, but yet it's so many creative things. So I would just say it, it's been an amazing experience, but you know, 20 years later, the population is changing. The cultures are increasing in different ways. The mm-hmm. Black population is shifting based on economics. So I would say it's been a unique space, but you know, you're from Memphis, so that's a whole different experience that we have to talk about <laughs> later. Most definitely, most definitely. Growing up, like, what were some of your hobbies? What were some of the things you were into? Well, you know, my grandmother had uh, a daycare. And so Milan had limited capabilities. (laughs) I think she had already seen my gifts and skills. But then again, you know, grandparents that were raised in the South, you just did what they told you to do respectfully. That's right. They were going to get you together respectfully. Yeah. Um, And so my grandmother having a daycare, I was only allowed, like... When I joined the choir that I'm referring to in high school, Mm -hmm. that choir took me to different countries. So I was able as an inner city youth to go to China, Shanghai, China. A shout out to uh, uh, former mayor, Willie Brown, who actually took us, uh, some black kids and kids of color over to a country and a land we knew nothing about. Uh, We learned about it in school. But I think that growing up, it was really about the choir taught me things, Mr. Cole and Miss Cole, they, it taught us about discipline, mm-hmm. uh, performance, how music has, has altered and changed American history and life. So we mm-hmm. learned songs from, you know, as far back as Ella Fitzgerald and mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder and Kurt Franklin and uh, I can name Karen Carpenter. Like he taught us about the artistry of art. Mm -hmm. and culture. So most of my high school life was arts. It was performance. It was voice. It was diction. It was how to carry ourselves, taught us how to sell tickets, to raise money to go places that you want to, that you want to go to. And he um, uniquely as a, a educator saw gifts in us as black kids. He was also the dean of the high school, might I add. So okay. going to choir, you just wasn't singing. You were talking about grades, yeah. or you wearing your, your high school uniforms. Um, so doing that, my grandmother would be like, hey, when you finish from choir, you come straight home. And when you come home, you're going to help me with this daycare. And so I learned how to work with kids at yeah. an early age. I learned how to... Um, 
work with babies and different ages and even parents when they're picking up their kids and collecting yeah. money from my grandmother when she was collecting daycare fees. Uh, and then I have, a, I have a big family. So we also lived in her house with other cousins sometimes who parents were working, you know, jobs. So it was always a big family time growing up in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I can relate definitely. Um you know, being from the South and having parents and, and grandparents that, you know, you do as, as you're told and that's just how things, things go. Um, that's awesome that, you know, you grew up in, in the choir and got to travel um, around the world, like similar uh, for me in high school, um, being in all of the sports teams and that I could play in. Um, one of the things that my coaches um, did when I was in track and cross country was that he offered opportunities for us to get experience um in different programs so in high school i got to go to um Phillips exeter for a summer program which is in, in new hampshire and being around some of the brightest kids across the world um and it just made you feel like man like it's a it's a big world out there and you know there's more to to strive for and achieve so um that definitely you know humbled me um because I was at the top of my class and I get to, to this school and seeing other kids that are younger and we're in different classes and doing math and whatever the kids may be. And they're getting it like this. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, I'm about to be a senior and this kid is like in the eighth grade, you know? <laughs> uh, um, so it's awesome to have like, you know, those people, teachers and educators and family member that um, pushes you and give you opportunity to, oh, yeah. to get new experiences for sure. Most definitely. So from there to San Jose State, um, what did you want to, to study at San Jose State? Well, <laughs> you know, sometimes growing up in households, you hear your parents talking to you like, what you want to do? And yeah. I mean, you know, 17, 18, I give it to any young person listening. Listen, take the recommendations, you know, look into it, say, say thank you for recommending. Yeah. But, you know, just respond back with, I'm going to explore because... I went to college thinking that I wanted to do business. Now, granted, you know, nowadays as an ED and yeah. executive director, I'm like, maybe I should have took those business classes. <laughs> but I, I started off at San Jose State as a business student. You know, okay. my, 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 um, I mean, there's a heavy story to my experience and how I got there, but my mother took me to, um, an EOP. They call it actually San Jose State calls it an on-site admissions day. Okay. It's for kids who didn't, you know, possibly have high SAT scores, high ACT scores. If folks know about those, you know, how do you, how you score in a kid to, mm -hmm. to, to make sure that they're going to survive college. And then there's also, you know, high GPA. What they saw in me was a gift to talk. So on that day, they said, well, you got to fill out this form and you got to go in there and talk to this panel about why you should go to San Jose State. Yeah. Um, and although I didn't grow up uh, with my mom in the house, um, majority of um my life the weekend experiences that I got with her she took me you know to a space where I didn't know what I really wanted to do but I knew I wanted to go to college mm -hmm. um and she said well you better go in there and use your voice and you know I didn't know what that meant at that time now now that I'm older I'm like oh okay yeah. <laughs> so I went in there talked to the committee and I walked out with my admissions in my hand you know I before I knew I had a gift I was talking in my gift <laughs> Uh, which is getting things for people, uh, the less fortunate, and sometimes even those who got money that still need stuff and they don't need. That's right. But that's how I was able to get in. <laughs> and uh, I walked out and she was like, what happened? And I was like, 
they didn't actually nope they took me so i you know it that wasn't my starting experience and then the eop program i don't know if you heard of it but as San Jose state it allowed it allowed then for students to get like a summer uh time on campus which uh, provided you a college credit it provided you time to see the campus before the thirty thousand students that San Jose state has so you mm -hmm. get a real personal experience being a kid from you know big city small city or kids that grew up in the neighborhood or the what places we'll call the hoods of communities yeah um to just give you a head start and so for me, that was my first interaction with San Jose State. And then the Black fraternities and sororities came out and greeted us to let us know that we could make it on campus and that they were there and mm -hmm. learned about their organizations. And so we kind of got tours of the African-American Studies Department. And or they used to call it back then Africana Center. And uh, you got to know the Black faculty and staff to just know that you won't always see everybody, but there still was a present at a historical university, might I add, you know, yeah. John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Um, there's so many names that I could throw out there. Valerie Coleman, who was formerly um, in media, well, not formerly, she still is in media and television. So mm -hmm. you just really learn that you can make it a San Jose State. So I started off as business and that immediately transitioned onto the communication studies department. I had a professor. Yeah. His hearing aid used to go off. I think that was the universe <laughs> telling me I needed to get the heck out of that class. And um, I did. It was discovering business at San Jose State. I took that class. I think I got a D. I'm not afraid. It's a shame to say it. I did. I was determined with that D to figure it out. Um, I walked over to the communication studies department and I met Dr. Marquita Bird. And when she met me, she said, welcome home. And that experience of just her as a black woman and a black professor and educator, like mm -hmm. I didn't even know her after, I mean, before that, but when she said that communication studies was the degree that I earned at San Jose State University uh, from her being a woman of Alpha Kappa Alpha at that, she mm -hmm already embraced me um by coming to her telling her like i don't know if i should if i belong in the, in the business department i think communication she was like communication studies is a broad field so that that's how i that's that's how i picked my degree <laughs> <laughs> i definitely i could i can relate to that for sure um you know being young 17 going into college and everyone is telling you what you should study what you should be you know what to do to, to make money and all the different kind of stuff um, so communication studies, how did that lead from there? I know you mentioned earlier, you guys got invited to do something at the um, African American Community Service Agency. I don't know if that's what mm -hmm. it was called back then, but um, you decide to do communication studies. Obviously, you know, you have a gift for talking. And how did you get connected with the ASCSA? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that story. Definitely. And uh, don't what I was what um, I always tell people don't let my introvert side fool you. Um, <laughs> it's always been called AACSA and the okay. African American Center. I'm gonna put that out there again for those of you in the audience. I can't, I won't see you all, but let me just put that out there in case you hear somebody. Um, you know, being invited to be involved in the community was my first, um, one of my first experiences from college going off campus because I had already been doing things on campus per se, mm -hmm. but off campus. And so being able to go to the AACSA for Halloween to create and participate in a program uh, is really important to, I guess, my, my, my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and utilizing my 
I think right then it was probably early on for me regarding the communication studies class. Like I was mm-hmm. like, it, there's not much theory that I can offer here, but what I can do is as a you know as a youth in the community, mm-hmm. offer my time, my body, and my mind to learn what was really going on in the community at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my first experience with the agency as far as a San Jose State student okay. being engaged and involved. Um, Four years at San Jose State. You graduate <laughs> a little bit more than four. <laughs> Shout out to all of those of us who took a little bit more time to bake in the oven, and it's all right. Uh, I actually know a good, nice generation of folks at San Jose State. I know, you know, I'm not ashamed to tell it. Excuse all the noise. I'm I'm in my home office. It's COVID season. Um, yeah, I stayed at San Jose State a little bit longer. Um, okay. One is I, I learned I had a learning disability in college. Gotcha. And I was struggling my first few years to figure out how to learn. Okay. Um, and that, you know, the opportunity that I had was not that, oh, he wasn't ready for college. It was that college was not ready for me. Mm. That's how I look at it now. Okay. And when I say that, that means that oftentimes they're getting students who are coming in mm-hmm. who, who want to achieve this dream yeah. of earning a college degree, but how do you reach the students? So I had to learn how to even learn within an atmosphere that was more so like, well, you have to have this to be here. No, I yeah. don't. I should be able to be there like everybody else. And you provide the tools that I need right, to be, to, to survive. So I learned um, around 2005 uh, that I needed to learn a different way of learning. And that's when the university had me do some tests. And I remember meeting the lady and she said, you know, we've seen more, most young black boys or young black men mm-hmm. um, who may not even learn that they need another way to learn, just drop out, just mm-hmm. become basically obsolete or ghost. Yeah. And so when I said, well, what do you mean by ghost? You mean, you mean like they just disappear rather than, you know, saying that there is something going on that's troubling for them. And so my message is to anyone that's listening that may think that you should be somewhere uh, that you need to find your ability to learn. I'm your example that you can forget what everybody else says because they should help you. And that kind of like helped my journey and being there for quite some time. Because mm-hmm. anytime people come to me now as the ED of the agency, I'm like, oh, I know somebody. I was there long enough to know somebody. So <laughs> let me hook you up with the financial aid department or let me talk to the president's office or let me talk to the, the writing center, places that I had to learn how to go and show up in. Nice. Nice. That's that's dope. That's, that's chapter advice. five. <laughs> 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 I'm glad that, you know, you persevered and, you, you know, you find out, um, you know, a way that you can learn that worked for you, right? Because that is a, right. a great example because I definitely, um, I feel like we all have gone to college and have friends that started with us. And then, you know, next thing you know, like you show up the next semester and then there for multiple reasons. But for sure, I feel like even for me going to PWI in Tennessee, I remember being in class, being like the only black person um, and sometimes being intimidated. But then I would look like one of the things that kind of, motivated me once I was in my Spanish class and we had a we had a quiz and I remember the teacher are saying okay cool the quiz is about to start and whatever and it's just like I was sitting there again being the only black person in the class I remember this girl just like we're about to do our test and and she kind of covered her paper like I was gonna cheat and I was so insulted I, I have never been so insulted I guess at that time and I was like nah like I'm gonna prove to this girl and to everyone here like I belong here like um 
we all got into the school. So I don't care what you made on your SAT and all this different kind of stuff. We're here. So we equal. Um, right. And and yeah. And since then, you know, I went to class and got out of there with a B and everything else and um, found out that I belong. And I told myself I belong, even though there was not a, a big group, um, you know, being in class, being, you know, by myself a lot. But I didn't let that stop me. So um, I, I definitely um, you know, find some similarities there and yeah. great for you that you're it happens to, to a lot of uh young black boys, black girls, children of color, where we get treated a certain way in classrooms that shape and causes trauma in yeah. places of education. So I I totally understand that story and have heard many of my friends say I have said that they've experienced something like that themselves. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Now, so you go your years at San Jose State, and now, Lots of them. yeah. <laughs> now, how did that lead to what you're doing now, an executive director at the African Community Service Agency? Let me just put it. Don't y'all judge me. <laughs> this, is a, this is a free judgment me. zone. <laughs> we cool. It's you know sometimes when people listen to people's stories, they be having commentary, but they that's do. okay. We can, we we can unlearn bad behavior. We gotta we call can. it out these days. <laughs> Um, somebody resonates with my story. Just say not me or not you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I went over to the African American Center to volunteer that that uh that event, the former executive director told them, like, who's that young man telling people what to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's that young man? You know, and, and I think in hindsight, it was giving direction. Mm-hmm. giving you know giving people I was doing things that I I not necessarily were thinking about which is you know telling people where to be where to put stuff yeah uh, what it should look like and then she let me know after that that they that the agency had a student board position mm-hmm. for students in college to learn about nonprofits um, and being in a, a historically black fraternity you see all these great men that have become doctors lawyers educators um, philanthropist is like okay well I already know I want to be something like them that's why I joined yeah but in your own city well how do I show up and so she told me about the position I applied got my little resume together I walked it down to the agency from San Jose State and I had an interview and they voted me to serve on the board as a student board member and serving on student as a student board member, I learned a lot about Juneteenth, things that I didn't learn in in in, in my educational journey. Um, I learned about the MLK luncheon that the agency put on, and then there were some programs that the agency did do, not as robust as now under my leadership, but it was in survival mode at some part in time. That now that I look back, but it was mm-hmm. all out of love from her and the board then. Um, but I became board vice chair. Uh, and and served on several committees. And then that's when they were like, well, you know, she's been here for about 20 years. She may be leaving soon. Uh, What are your plans? And I'm me jokingly at a board meeting. I was like, well, you know, I think one day I want to be an executive director. Here we are 11 years later. You spoke into existence. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are 11 years later. Um, And in fact, when I was in college, like my last year, I had applied to, uh, Target has an ETL program. It's a a program for graduating seniors in in college Mm -hmm. to learn how to be a a executive team leader, if I remember that was the title, at Target, in case you want to be a store manager 
Um, and 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 I remember I competed against like 60 other students at my mm -hmm. university. They only picked two of us. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Sylvia, wherever she is. It was her and her and me. It was myself and, and uh, a young black boy uh, and uh, an amazing, dynamic, intelligent Latina. We went in there together like, well, we gonna learn how Target do things. <laughs> Uh, but I learned retail wasn't for me. Uh, what I did learn was I was already advocating for the people. I was like, hey, you know, Sally over in clothes needs money for her kids. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of like, uh, you want to go in HR now? And I said, I don't know. All I know is I'm advocating for the people at a corporate store yeah. that I knew was making at least a hundred something thousand in a day. Yeah. So for me, it was how do we support? Like I already like these were signs. And then as I got closer to graduation, I did work at one of my friends who worked at Google. I had shared with him about, oh, get me into Google. Like that was the thing, right? Because mm -hmm. the agency is 40, almost 44. We're older than Google. But at the time, I was like, if I could just make it to the big leagues, I got to mm -hmm. get into Google. Mm -hmm. uh, I got into Google Maps, the Maps department. So years ago, I was part of the team that was looking on maps to see if things were located where they were, okay. updating information in the system, calling mm -hmm. companies. And it was a beautiful experience, but I eventually said, I want to be with people. And uh, they were doing some transitions to different departments. And that's when I transitioned um, and made got the offer made for me to join the agency as the interim executive director. Okay. And that has led into a journey that, you know, I was just telling people the other day, I'm in my 11th year. And when I, there's a picture of me sitting in the multi-purpose room with a big binder. And my head is down like this because I was calling folks, uh -huh. trying to convince them to believe in the dream that I, that we have now, mm -hmm. uh, which is crazy. But it was crazy then because I, I, I only knew what my ancestors had been through. So I'm figuring out, like, I can go through anything if I could just figure out and get y'all to support. Yeah. Um, but I envisioned having 23 staff members, having a budget, having operating programs, taking huge risks for the black community, but also anybody else who was coming to us from different cultures, mm -hmm. seeking support, refuge, information. And um, that's how it started. That is exactly how it started. God bless everybody who uh, dealt with Milan uh, <laughs> in the beginning. You prayed for him or you was like, he's crazy with a crazy vision or, you know, uh, you expected something from me then that I'm now, you know, running with. So yeah. shout out to all the creatives and the visionaries. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. I love that you've spoken into existence. And that is something that, you know, I you hear saying like the power of the tongue, like be careful, mm -hmm. like what you put out there. And that is true. And I tell my brothers all the time, and even for me and the things that I want to do, sometimes like I say it out loud, especially like some some dreams and goals of mine, I say it out loud so I can hear it. And then I'm like, okay, all right. If I, I hear it, and then it kind of just like calms me. It's like, okay, I believe I can do it. Um, so it is great that, you know, you, you, you know, claimed it. And then you had this dream 11 years ago, of, you know, what you want to do and things you wanted to accomplish and to <laughs> see not like that dream, not in, in motion. Um, and it's, it's odd that, you know, you say dream and, you know, today is president's day and I'm having this conversation with you. And when you say dream, I immediately thought like Barack Obama, right. And, and think about his dream and things he wanted to do. So, um, Thinking of that dream today, like how would you describe um, the journey? You know, my very first meeting, I believe, was with Rita Holiday from Intel. Shout out to Rita. 
she came and she had a she was the she was the leader that had a meeting with me and told me she was a San Jose State alum. Mm-hmm. And I was going to the meeting like, oh, I got a black alumni. She going <laughs> she going to help. She going to yeah. give me she going to help me. Um, but what she did was she said, what is your vision for the agency? And she was taking notes. I don't know if she ever kept those notes, but everything that I said to her and that meet is now, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see the staircase. I couldn't even figure out how to build it. I just was like, you know, they, normally what they say is if you had a million dollars or there was no, no barriers to creating things, it was me really thinking like, well, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. And then I started to work towards it. You know, that whole idea of putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. I'm that person. I, I am sorry to all the strategic people out there. Um, I believe sometimes you got to throw the vision and the dream in front of it and then yeah. start running after it. Because the whole experience of going towards it is different. And you're like, ooh, this is scaring me. Everybody else around you like, Mm-mm, I don't know why, what, what? And then they see it and they're like, this was a great experience. I know it was crazy for me, crazy for you. <laughs> That's Milan's world. It's like, you know what? I see the moon and the stars. It's like, well, how are you going to get there? I don't know if we just start walking right now. We'll get there. <laughs> that is kind of how I've been. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've learned, you know, newer ways and methods. Thank you all, Harvard <laughs> and other places that have invested in my time. Um, so what I will say is those beginning stages were going to really explore uh, well, what does it mean to be a sec- executive director? So I mm-hmm. went to Compass Point at the time for my first one on one executive director training. Mm-hmm. Um, I started following other great leaders who were doing the work. I remember going over to Asian Americans with community involvement mm-hmm. to take their tour. And um, I was like, I hope I get to meet the CEO. Um, I sat in this chair and uh, this nice lady sits next to me and she leans over and goes, are you Milana? And I go, yeah. And she says, it's going to be okay. And then I turned <laughs> and I said, are you Michelle? And she says, yes. Uh, Michelle Liu is who I'm speaking of. Um, yeah. And she's been one of the wings that I've been able to get under uh, since I was started as ED. Mm-hmm. And she also helped just whenever I needed something to call her, she would just call my executive director journey like, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be okay. Here's some resources for you. And I think that was the power of uh, the Asian and Black community working together through leadership, you mm-hmm. know, just on liked things and our differences that make us very unique. Um, she was one of those people amongst people in the community that knew that I was, you know, going that route. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll at least share with you and the audience is just that that beginning journey for, I think, myself and working in the community was also about people, you know, what and how do I get what they need? Mm-hmm. Uh, so those first three, four years, oh yeah, I got a bunch of chapters I could write about that. <laughs> you mentioned um, graduating and looking at uh, corporate America, like a lot of us do coming out of uh, college, looking for a job that can pay the bill because- America is corporate. <laughs> America is corporate and most of us get out of college with debts and we got to find a way to pay for them, right? Um, but your path led you to nonprofit, right? Um what would you say to, you know, kids graduating, um, looking at opportunities, whether corporate or nonprofit, what would you say um, to kids that, you know, what the nonprofit world can offer them that um, the corporate world probably can't? 
Yeah, uh, great question. And first of all, I would recommend that young people and people in general, I think for young people, if you want to test out what you want to do, go to a nonprofit. Because you can say, you know, I want to do marketing and I have experience. And most nonprofits more than likely will possibly let you test it out and try it. Um, and that way you'll know you can get the experience. I know at AACSA you can, because we typically give you the ability to let us know what your vision is and mm -hmm. try to tap you into that team or department. Mm -hmm. But nonprofit is not only the, 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 the industry that is about giving back, because most people will say to me like, oh yeah, I want to work you know, at AACSA because I want to give back. And I'm like, that's just what we do. Like it's in addition, for those who volunteer with AACSA, they're like, y'all, y'all down here, you all are down here working. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, no, I'm down here giving back and I'm getting paid to do it. Yeah. No, we're going above and beyond dealing with traumas of our community, historical setbacks, uh, barriers, systematic barriers. Mm -hmm. um, we are trying to recreate systems that we are being told cannot be done, but yet the systems that are oppressing people, it's okay to have them. So in the nonprofit industry, and I know you've been down there to volunteer and support us, you get to really see the fruits of your labor. Mm -hmm. And you get to see it in a unique way where, you know, a mother or a kid comes back and say, uh, you all helped me, like mm -hmm. see myself. And whether or not you're on the front lines or on our executive team or in our family resource center team, you see the footprints of you carrying mm -hmm. someone, right? We historically, we see that image and it says God. Yeah. Um, the reason why you only see one set of footsteps is because God was carrying me. Yeah. You have to imagine that we all work for a greater purpose and a greater creator that we are carrying people. That's what you get in the nonprofit industry. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to all my nonprofit friends, <laughs> the ones that I know and don't know. Yeah. Uh, there are some nonprofits where you can make a lucrative salary. Don't get, don't get it twisted about the nonprofit industry yeah. because it's work. Um, and it is it is having to create a profit to call it nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, to be able to pay people and retain them for their gifts and their skills. Let's not get it twisted. So, if they, you know, people say, "Oh no, you need to go work for a big company." You can work for a nonprofit and make a decent salary. Yeah. Um. So I do recommend young people, and then I recommend people who work in other fields to volunteer your skills and gifts as you have done so and other members that we know of your team, uh, giving back to nonprofits that are helping cities with a million plus people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's definitely a great advice. And having been to, you know, your agency um, many times now and seeing all the stuff that you do, um, and even internally looking at, you know, the Sharks Foundation and, you know, what we do internally. Um, growing up, I think like, coming out of college, I didn't have many experiences working with nonprofits. Um, it was never one of those avenues I feel like that was presented for me that you can do something here, you can make a difference here. And the work that you guys do, like, my God, it, it just never ends. So I commend all of you guys in the nonprofit world um, because you guys did some great things. And, you know, every time I go visit you guys and volunteer or think of different ways to help out um it just i feel like i'm making a small difference um and it's huge <laughs> you have and, no idea it's and huge. i feel like you know if everyone can do their part and make a difference in their communities then we make our community better so thank you guys yeah. for all you do and thank 
to all the Thank nonprofit you. here and afar. For, um, I'm going to write a letter do. now to Beyonce and tell her when she says who runs the world, uh, the edit <laughs> is nonprofit. <laughs> Shout out to all the ladies and girls and women out there, but I'm going to say nonprofit. <laughs> Hey B, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously we've been, I've mentioned earlier, um, I've been working with you now for like three years, but tell me a little bit how our relationship started just with the ASCSA and um, the Sharks. How did their relationship start? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was funny because I think when you had reached out to us, um, and we recognize you are a brother working mm-hmm. in the in the industry that hardly have representation of black people there. Mm-hmm. It was more of an embracing moment because mm-hmm. it was really, I think, when you said who you were and then we met, and I was like, Oh, so you're looking for barbershops, beauty <laughs> shops, you're looking for food joint, like places that brought culture and safety to us mm-hmm. as a people moving to you know places. And when you said we were from as an executive director, our my, my brain buzzes when people need resources, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, Marcus Washington is from uh, Memphis or he went to school in Memphis. Like I automatically try to create safety nets for people when they meet the agency. It's like we need to be the 411 Mm -hmm. for the community. So I think our our ability to just connect on the bond of creating community mm-hmm. and you you had you had said a few words regarding what expectations not only did you have of yourself but of your employer the, mm-hmm. and not just that I'm employed there but I'm we're supposed to be change makers too creating mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. and I think that that spoke to me as well as when I brought it forward to my staff and I was like hey I just met uh well we call you Mo yeah I just met Mo brother working at the Sharks and they were yeah. like what and I said yeah he working at the Sharks and they was like yay and then we said okay how can we continue to do because I, I think working with uh not I think I know working with Heather mm-hmm. um whom we initially met um started a relationship with us but I think once you joined it began to grow and blossom and expand more and mm-hmm. shout out to her for even creating a pathway in an industry where it wasn't originally but I think you have been helped help, help helping build that bridge even bigger and so I think that creating community was the initial part of that conversation was like where are things at who do I need to get connected to and how do I get your programs connected to you know our foundation and Mm -hmm. our tickets to attend the games Mm -hmm. to expose black children and brown children to an industry where it's not too many or no representation yeah um and then your art you know, your gift. First of all, we saw something and then you was like, oh yeah, I created this. And we were like, oh, we got to get connected to this brother. <laughs> Those are a few. Yeah. I remember, um, I think the Sharks Foundation, Heather had given you a, a suite to our game a few years, two, I think well, two years ago now, 2020, right? Where we had the, the Black History Museum tour from the NHL coming down. And I remember having a conversation with you, like a phone call. And you were like, um, wanted to get some food for the suite that uh, the foundation had uh, gotten you guys. I got to feed I, my people, Mo. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I've been looking for like black people in this community here forever because I've been trying to do like uh, bring them to the game. Because like you said, there's so like few of us. Every time I tell people I work in hockey, I always get like this. You work in hockey? And I'm like, yes, I work in hockey. We do exist. Um, And I've always been trying to make something happen where we can get Black people to come out and at least experience the game. 
for me, like being here at the Sharks, I, I remember being like, being on the outside of hockey, right? Where it didn't really speak to our community. There's no marketing, no events that kind of made me want to watch a game or follow a player, but that all changed. Like, you know, once I started working here, um, I got recruited here, not knowing much about the, the sport, um, but I know that we wanted to create change here. We wanted to broaden our horizon and do some new things. So that excited me about joining the Sharks, knowing that, hey, like I have the freedom to, to create. Um, and so when I came out, my goal was to reach out to communities that we hadn't reached out to, you know, who are the people here in the Bay area that, um, is part of our community that we hadn't reached out to. And I've been trying for a few years to, you know, meet with different groups in the black community and, um, celebrate, you know, black, black history night or heritage night. Cause we've done it with many different communities. Um, and it just, you know, it's one of those things I feel like just fate worked out where I was like working late that day and you called and I picked up and I was like, wait, you work for an agency here in the, uh, in the San Jose, like literally down the street from us. Um, and I've been like looking and trying to find people to be able to, to lead on. So um, it's been like, you know, great ever since just having that conversation, going to meet you and the rest of your crew um, in the suite that, that, that game. And um, talking about, yes, you know, we want to do something for the Black community. I don't know what it is yet, but we're talking, you know, and we make something happen. Um, Black so. people in snow and cold. So, you know, <laughs> it was a unique experience. It's the way we're from California. But I think that, that that was what we had to even experience that you brought forward as um, being in a suite and having that experience along with wow, you know, I didn't know hockey could be fun. It could mm -hmm. be interesting. It could mm -hmm. be all of these things. And our objective at that time was let's bring these families in here to get that um, exposure. So yeah. we shout out to you and Heather and other folks on the team that made that happen. Yeah. No, no, that was, that was, that was great. And then, um, so, I mean, from then I'm thinking, okay, like what can we do to, to get people here at the game and expose the game of hockey to black communities? Like you said, um, one of the things that I've been really passionate about working with the Sharks is creating opportunity for um, the non-traditional hockey communities to come try out the game, to be able to see themselves within the Sharks community. Um, and even like myself being one of the few Black people that work for the Sharks, it's important for me to go out into communities so that they can see, you know, that, you know, there may not be many of us, but there are some of us who who work in in you know, spaces like hockey and other spaces where there may not be um, many diversity, because oftentimes I feel like, you know, people can be intimidated by not seeing people that look like them or people that are different. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, a mission of mine to, to go out and talk to people and um, just listen to their stories and also find a way that how we can highlight them, right, using the game that we have in sports is, Sport is one of those things that bring people together, right? No matter what your background is, your race, sexual identity, it doesn't matter. Like once you're in a game and then they start fighting and, you know, they're scoring, you're high-fiving, screaming, and the thing is like going off and, you know, you don't care at that moment. You're just in the moment. So, um, yeah. yeah. And being in a suite with Black people, seeing what's happening, everybody be like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> this is how it goes down in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're fighting. Is that allowed? I'm like, yeah, this is not basketball. They can fight here. <laughs> yeah. We were having a lot of cultural conversations in the suite. Like, okay, well, yeah. 
somebody help me with the score. How does the scoring work? Like we started teaching each other about what we learned about hockey. And I think that that brought in a different element to our programs. I think we had some steam on Saturday kids present Mm -hmm. and you know, they, they know their football teams and their basketball teams, but they didn't, you know, exactly know. And now I think it was one of the kids mother who sent us a video that year Mm -hmm. of her son turned her living room into a hockey ring. Oh, wow. And she sent that like of her black son playing. And that that was the trajectory where it was like, we need more partnerships and spaces and places that we should have been in all along. But because of probably racism and oppression Mm -hmm. and fear, I didn't allow it. So, you know, we gravitate what, you know, what you get your hands on easily. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, that opportunity was a winner Um, after I seen that as an ED, it was like more of this. Yeah. And those are the stories that, like I mentioned earlier, working all these crazy hours and holidays and things like that, that makes me feel like, you know, what we do matter, creating opportunity for people to experience new things, um matter even if they don't think they like it like for me it's just like come experience it just come see it be part of it and then you can decide then uh this isn't for me but it's really hard to be on the outside to be like nah the, you know this is not appealing to me because and i say that to people because i used to be that person i used to be <laughs> like eh, you know i will watch i will watch hockey you know on television and be like i don't know what the heck is going on what are these circles like what is happening but being at the shark tank and being at a game. I mean, I didn't know none of those rules, but I was like, okay, I know that they're trying to put the puck, you know, in the net. (laughs) I know that much. And we just got to go through all these people and score. And once we score and then the horn goes off and everybody's high-fiving each other, I was like, oh my God, this is fun. This is fast. They're hitting each other. They're like the skill level, what they do. I was okay. All right. I'm hooked. Now, how can I get other people to come see this as well so that they can also be able to, you know, add this sports to, to their repertoire? You know, for yeah. me, it's just like, yeah, I can talk basketball. I can talk football. I can talk track and field. But now I can go home to Memphis, Tennessee and talk hockey like, yes. you know, um, and now I have family and friends back home when they when they see anything hockey, they call me like, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? And I'm just yes. like, wow, like it's just it brings me joy um, because you know, they're following the sport because they know someone who's in that, right? And then through doing that, maybe they pick a team, you know, hopefully the Sharks um, or just, you know, <laughs> um, or just, you know, get an experience and, 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 you know, maybe try skating or different ice sports. So um, I'm glad that we're, we're able to continue this partnership um, to this year. You know, we're going to have a, a block party prior to the game that I'm super excited about. So like, you know, looking, I guess, of what's to come this this weekend, like, what do you, like, as far as having, inviting all of this organization and the black community to come out, what is, what do you think that means for our community and also like the youth and people, you know, to be able to see that partnership with like, you know, the Sharks and like we said, NHL who, um just historically don't have many experiences or many partnership with you know big diverse group or just like the black community what do you think like what we're trying to do um that can impact our community as well as just say to the hockey world yeah so 
you know, when I start, when we started talking, I said, we're taking a risk, yeah. right? Yeah. We're taking a big vision journey. So I think it's going to be the first of many, because when I was talking to black organizations and anybody knows when you go looking for a job or when you are looking for a funder, you have to find out what, you know, what's the audience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so these black organizations who have emphasis in the black community yeah. tabling at a Sharks game is already like, well, wait, how many of us attend these games? <laughs> um, which were authentic questions, right? Mm-hmm. But what it evolved into, you may meet a funder because the audience of the Sharks, when you look at statistics and when you look at data about home ownership, when you look at um, the population and the medium income is not black people. Mm-hmm. It's people who don't look like my people, which is why we're trying to change that in the first place. So for those who are coming to the Sharks game, in, including those who were invited from the community mm-hmm. to break their own social norms and barriers, mm-hmm. to come get educated about, you know, Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, who is going to turn 100 this year. Mm-hmm. And the emphasis of their programs to support Uh, the Black community and any child that they meet with their sororities initiatives, uh, Mm -hmm. Delta Sigma Theta, uh, Black girls who surf uh, are going to be there, Mm -hmm. Um, Black girls who mean business, uh, the 100 Black men. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be about creating Mm -hmm. space for us. I mean, if five people show up, I'm still going to be happy. And the reason why is because it always takes a small group of people to start something big. Yeah. And that for me, you know, we want a lot of people to come out to get that experience, but we know that there's going to be hesitation based on, you know, who's going to be out there with us. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have a live, a DJ, DJ yeah. Kwan from the community. He's a member of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity incorporated. Yeah. We have the AACSA us yeah people's agency we're going to be out there passing out information about black history and doing some fun activities and games in partnership uh, with the sharks and inviting the sharks general audience Mm -hmm. to get out there and meet organizations you know and hopefully the block the block black party as i like to call it right now yeah (laughs) an experience of learning you know that people will come and learn about carter g woodson who created negro history week because black children were not learning about themselves back then and black children today still are not learning about themselves that's a fact i don't want to call out any schools that i know but i know some <laughs> of my nieces are attending where i'm already almost on my way up there regarding you know making sure that black history is taught throughout the year we yeah. we we will celebrate black history month because we know how we received it and mm-hmm. how we went after to get it um as a celebration but i think that the opportunity to have food engage before the game raise money for organizations mm-hmm. silicon valley released a report that less than 10 percent of philanthropy dollars goes towards black led black organizations so we're raising the profile and you are all taking the lead on that so shout out to the sharks yeah i'm, I'm super excited um again we met and had like this this vision and um you know i took the the vision and went to my team and i said you know i had a few free a few brainstorming sessions with my team and like different ideas that we wanted to do. And I said, you know, I talked to ASC and said, we have this great idea. And then, you know, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be a, a block party. And um, one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of the, the steps that we've been making as an organization is that we're listening and um, we're taking risk. 
And I've, I've been a disruptor since, <laughs> since I started bringing different communities from the Sikh community to the Indian community to the Muslim community. So I've always been, yeah, let's, let's bring in these new groups and whatnot. And um, my managers and my directors have trusted me um, to go out and make it happen, whatever it is that I wanted to do. Um, and so with that in mind, I just, you know, said, we're going to do something new this year. Um, and I feel like it, it, for us as an organization to, to put um, this much belief in me, um, gives me hope that other organizations in the NHL can also give that same belief to some of their employees and reps to take risk, right? Um, you don't, you don't grow if you don't take risk and, and learn. And like I tell my, my organization is that we have to go where the people are. We want to highlight black people. We want to do black history night. It's not just, you know, put up a, a few posters here and there, a few things and messages and whatever the case may be. Well, we do have to be authentic. We have to go with the people. We have to listen to what the people have to say. And we have to put something together that is representative of the people that we want to highlight. So um, I can't wait to see what Saturday um, brings, um, even if it's just our people. I am just excited that, you know, we are taking steps um, in this direction and, and celebrating Black history and other um, communities that we plan to, to highlight. So I am super excited about that. And um, definitely. And thank you for uh, uh, being a, uh, a torchbearer and carrying that, as you can see right here, yeah. the agency's <laughs> the logo, agency's logo. Yeah. there's a hand in there. And so when the founder and his son who created it, uh, I asked him before he passed away, the founder, if we could modernize it, but it's, you know, lighting the way. Mm -hmm. And so I think Saturday is going to be about community creating that space and building from it. Like when we first did our block party outside the agency, mm -hmm. it was a nice crowd that came out. It wasn't what we wanted, but it was mm -hmm. what we needed. Mm -hmm. And what we needed was to see that there were opportunities for us inviting the local community to come out mm -hmm. uh, for those who don't believe that there should be a Black History Month. Those mm -hmm. people exist. Those people who say that, why does anybody have a month? You know, it. this country is about looking at its how it was built, how mm -hmm. it was established, um, and how can we educate the masses about the the strength and the wisdom of the black community and the, the imprints that we've made in many fields, mm -hmm. um, yet and still facing oppression. Uh, and, and, and there's facts. If you mm -hmm. just do your research and look, right. It's not like we made up why black history is important. Why are black people being honored? Yeah. This is a moment at a time for anybody to learn anybody to just say thank you to the black community for just being a resilient community when we were the ones enslaved yeah uh being brought to a country that we didn't ask to come to but we made it what we wanted to make it and we're still doing that so you know come on out meet a couple of groups yeah have a good time with some music and some food yeah um and we just gonna try to make it as beautiful and black as we can that's right <laughs> This conversation, I feel like we could talk forever and ever, but um, thank you for coming on, on the Tilt for Change podcast and sharing a bit of your story as well as the African Community Service Agency. Um, you know, it's a, a community now that, you know, I'm endeared in my heart and feel a part of every time I go there. I just, you know, it, it feels like home. Um, and I appreciate you guys for creating a space where, 
um, people can come and feel safe and feel welcome because there's not many space in the Bay Area here. As a Black person that you go in and you can feel like, okay, I can like breathe. I can relax because, you know, I, I feel protected. I feel like, you know, I'm with my people. Um, so appreciate you guys for all that you guys do. And um, I'm excited for, you know, the partnership that we have and, you know, where we'll continue to go in the future. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for using your platform. And, you know, Mo comes before Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, I'm looking forward to meeting you, but Mo had to come first. I'm sorry. I'm working with him in the trenches. And that was my conversation with Milan Ballantin from the African-American Community Service Agency. I feel like we could have talked for another hour, like I mentioned. One of the things that stuck out to me was when he talked about being an SCSU and having to make the learning work for him. And I just thought that was brave of him to realize that how he was getting taught was not getting through to him and finding a way around that. And I feel like many people, when they're confronted with such situations, may be discouraged to give up or think that they're not good enough. And for him to realize that, well, it's not that I'm not good enough, is that the way that you guys are teaching me is not good enough for me, was something that stuck out to me. So definitely reach out to us. Let me know what stuck out to you and what you guys take from that conversation. And I will see you on the next episode of Tip for Change. Again, my name is Mo. And peace out.